Uh, If you're not, then please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 98. Psalm 98. And when you have found it, would you stand in honor of the sufficient, inerrant, inspired word of our living God? Psalm 98. If you haven't brought a Bible with you, then turn and grab one of the pew Bibles uh, and turn to Psalm 98 there, which is on page 506. And as we open up the Word of God, the living, inspired, infallible Word of God, I remind you as I read it, it's like hearing the voice of our living God. Psalm 98, beginning at verse 1. O sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and in praises and singing in praises. Sing praise to the Lord with the lyre and with the lyre and the sound of melody. With with the trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Will you pray with me one more time? Father, give us your Holy Spirit to counsel us now. Give us your Holy Spirit to hear your voice clearly. Give us your Holy Spirit so that we may come and adore you, so that we may know of this new song. Father, would you just use your word to speak to our hearts, to change us. Help us to understand it in our minds, so that we may lift up the name of Jesus and look forward to the day when all of creation will be singing this song. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Please do take a seat and have that Bible passage open in front of you. It is good to have the Bible open in front of you so that you make sure that what's coming to you is from God's Word and not the thoughts of a sinful man like me. And this psalm uh, in our series of Christmas in the Psalms speaks to us today of the Lord. I don't know if you've ever heard the voice of the Lord before. You may have been in church many years before. But I want the Lord to speak to us this morning. Speak to us like He spoke to the psalmist here in Psalm 98. May His song, the psalmist's song, be ours too. I wonder if it is though. I wonder if we know of this rich time and understand of this rich salvation that the psalmist speaks of. I'm asking the Father, please let your spirit be a witness to our spirit so that in Jesus' name we may know of this salvation. See, Fifth Avenue, you today will come with me on a journey as we go through the psalm together. And as we continue through on this journey this morning, I want this psalm to be resonating in our hearts this Christmas week. And over the course of this next uh, year, 2013, in singing this one song to a dying world, this one song of salvation that comes through this one person of Jesus Christ, will you join me in singing the supremacy of King Jesus, of God being in our lives? Will you join with me in that song? Will you join with with me in, in wanting to win Rome and Floyd County, to win North America, indeed to win the ends of the earth for King Jesus? See, some of you here today are visitors and guests. And as you listen and take back this message with you to where you've traveled from, I want this whole world to be set ablaze with us singing the praises of Jesus Christ. 
whether you've come from Florida or from Atlanta, whether you've come from another part of the world, it is our job to get everybody to join us in singing this song of, of Psalm 98, of singing with us in the joy of salvation, that it would so burst forth from our hearts that we can't help but sing of the praise of Jesus Christ. I want us to be invited on this journey together. Know that this journey will not be easy. Know that this journey will cost your life potentially. Know that this journey asks of you to take up your cross daily in following Jesus Christ. It is not. It is not a passive journey. We each sit, well you do, I stand right now, on comfortable cushioned pews. Some of me thinks that that is a bad thing. We need to be sitting on uncomfortable pews because that is the life of the Christian. To take up the cross daily. To be made humble by God's strength. To say that we have nothing and he has everything. To take us to the point of being content in Jesus Christ. And nothing of what we unwrap from under the Christmas tree this Christmas. Of saying that God is holy and we are utterly different. And causing us, because the Bible says so, to be granted belief in salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus that suffered on the cross. Perhaps this is a gift that we have just denied here in the West. Denied a life that is living for Jesus Christ, truly living for Jesus Christ, 24-7. The way to ask the question, or the way to think about this is to put it in the question, do our lives draw other people to praise Jesus Christ? Does your life, does my life draw other people to praise Jesus Christ? Does your life do that? Do they look at the Christians around them? Do they look at you and me and say, there is Christ? There is a man or a woman or a child singing with their life the praise and the salvation of Jesus Christ. See, no one of human history has had more songs written about them than Jesus Christ. In the English language alone, there are literally thousands of songs written about this one man, Jesus. In front of you right now, there is a green book that bids us to come and sing praise to this man, Jesus Christ. I wonder if you've ever asked yourself, why is that? Why have so many people chosen to write songs in so many different languages across so many generations to write songs about this one person, Jesus Christ? I think the answer comes in what we ask ourselves of what is it that excites us, what stirs our soul, what gets us out of the bed in the morning, what drives us on to live. And I think what drives people to write songs about Jesus Christ is because they're excited about Jesus Christ. Jesus stirs their soul. Jesus drives them on. Jesus is the one that says, I will take up my cross daily to follow him. And as we look at this psalm, Psalm 98, its structure speaks of the glory and the majesty and the joy that comes with knowing Jesus Christ. Of knowing that the whole earth will come, even in nature itself, to praise this God who rules To praise this God who rules his kingdom. See, this psalm is all about praising God for who he is. I don't know if you're a singer, but this week we've had two uh, big TV shows that have had their finale, The X Factor and The Voice. And as millions of people voted and watched, uh, those two shows were all about people supposedly being good at singing. Uh, But... It's innate within us. It shows that it's innate within us, even in the secular culture, that we were made to sing, that we were made to love singing. We were made to love listening to singing. It's part of what makes us human. Maybe you're a singer. 
I don't know if you're one of those people that likes to sing in the shower when you think nobody else is noticing. But we're all made to sing. Maybe you're a singer that likes to sing in the car to, to your favorite radio station or CD. Maybe you're one of those people who likes to sing as you do the, the housework, as my wife does, to certain different types of music. There are just times when we just want to burst down in singing. I love to sing. At Christmas time, one time when Stacey and I were doing youth work in East London, I completely embarrassed some of our, our youth when we were going to a mall, and I sang as we went through the shopping mall and, and through the subway just Christmas songs. Those teenagers just cringed with, with just embarrassment as I sang to the top of my voice going through the London subway system. I loved it. They hated it. But we love to sing. I wonder what excites you. I wonder what gets you so excited that you sing. I wonder if any of you were watching the Falcons last night. Any of you Dirty Birds fans? That sounds like a horrible phrase, by the way. I had to find out what it meant, but it means Falcons fans. I'm sure that there were people leaving the stadium last night or people that were watching it on TV that were just just cheering and roaring as as the Falcons placed for themselves the home field advantage for the playoffs and and hopefully them getting back to the Super Bowl. I'm sure there were people singing because they got excited about it. See, one of the things that gets me excited and one of my lifetime ambitions is to sing on Broadway or the West End. And I drive my wife crazy, particularly recently with singing the songs from the musical Les Miserables. And the reason why I'm driving my wife crazy right now is because on Christmas Day, there is going to be coming out in the movie theater, the, 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 the movie of Les Miserables with the music all the way through it. And I've always wanted to, to, to be on the West End, the, the London equivalent of Broadway. And every time I think about that movie or think about that musical, I just want to sing. Even thinking about it now makes me want to sing that one of the songs from Les Miserables. I'll spare you, but I've wanted to have that lifetime ambition of singing Jean Valjean and singing it on the stage. Because that soundtrack, that, 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 that musical gets me excited. But Les Miserables is nothing compared to what we see in the story, the true story of the Bible. This is what should be on my lips this is, should, should be what I want to sing about all the time. You see, this psalm comes to call us to celebrate the salvation that God has made known. It's his salvation. And the book of the psalms are the soundtrack to the Bible. I don't know if you've ever thought about it like that, but the book of psalms is the book of songs, the soundtrack to the story of the Bible. It's a collection of songs that, that tell of God's story of salvation. And this psalm particularly encourages us again and again to make a joyful noise to the Lord. And there is an object to our adoration. Like with every good song, it tells a story. A story of who God is, uh, of this world. And it even includes you and me in this story of joining in with nature and singing. We're all there in this song. And verse 1 begins with this commandment to sing a new song. Do you see that in verse 1? Have a look with me. You see, this phrase, a new song, is used all over the Bible. And it's always connected with victory and celebration and a new hope. Like the, 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 the victory uh, uh, and the inauguration of a new king or a victory over, uh, in battle. Or the, the victory from being delivered from enemies. But every time, it, it's pointing to the future though. Every time the phrase, sing of a new song, it's pointing to the future of Jesus Christ's return. Of God reversing the effects of the fall and restoring his kingdom to its perfect state. I don't know if you noticed when we sang the song, Joy to the World. 
We sing it at Christmas time, but it's actually a song about the second coming of Christ. It's a song about when Christ will restore this earth. It's talking about a time when, when all of the effects of the fall will be reversed and we will live in perfect harmony with God again. If you want to, go back and look at that song, song again. It's paralleling this psalm. I believe it's what it, it inspired the songwriter of Joy to the World uh, to write that song. It's pointing to, to when the, the whole of creation, because things have been restored, sing to the glory of God. And so when we think about this victory, when we think about the celebration of singing a new song, it's singing a new song because there is a new time to come. There is a new era that is to be dawned. It is a time when there will be no more crying or mourning. There will be no more effects of sin, not even in creation itself. All of its effects will be worked out because of the salvation of God. And there will be total victory seen throughout all of of humanity. And everybody will be joining in and singing the song of salvation. It is a great song uh, uh, that we must be drawn to sing together. It's a type of song that we would be singing if Friday had have been the end of the, wor- the end of the world. I just want to go down a rabbit track for a second. Just hold with me for a second. Just wanting to explain to you why Friday wasn't the end of the world. It wasn't the end of the world because one, the Bible says, Jesus comes and it will be like a thief in the night. It will be a surprise. What would the end of the world be like? Surprise. It's not going to be in the media. It's not going to be out there for years and years and years. It's not going to be predicted by a man named Harold for the fourth time. It's going to be a surprise, like a thief in the night. A thief in the night that I'm kind of a little bit nervous about right now because whenever you have Christmas presents under the Christmas tree and things like that, you worry about a thief breaking in. It's going to be a surprise like that. The second thing is, and I will get back into the passage in a second. The second thing the Bible says, though, is that the end will come when the Great Commission is complete, okay? How many of you want to see Jesus return? I want to see Jesus return. If you're one of these people that says, oh, the world is so bad, or the things are going on, if you want to see Jesus return, you know what you need to do? You need to go out and tell the gospel to a dying world. Because Jesus in Matthew 24, 14, says that he will come back when the ends of the earth have been reached. In other words, when the Great Commission is completed and every tribe and tongue and nation are speaking the name of Jesus and praising his name, even if it's just one person. So the reason we sent Todd to India is we want the Benai people group in India to speak uh, the name of Jesus in their own language, in their own tongue, so that they're there in us in the kingdom of heaven. So if you want Jesus to come back quicker, then get on board and get on to missions, okay? That is the only certainty of when Jesus says you will return, okay? Back into the passage. It is relevant, and I'll take you back there in a, in a little while. And the connection in this psalm between what it's talking about and Jesus Christ in Christmas is that Jesus is the king. Jesus is the one uh, who, like David, is going to bring salvation. David was, was bringing salvation to a political, geographical nation. But that wasn't the, 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 the story. That was just a foreshadowing. When we look to the end of the world, it's not going to be when necessarily Israel is restored to a kingdom again. It's when the Great Commission and God's kingdom is completed in that way. And so here, there is salvation that's being pointed to, not just to the uh, Israelites, but did you notice in verse 2? In the sight of nations, it's going to be the whole world that is drawn to this, this gospel call, this, this one song of Jesus Christ, this one salvation. It's, it's going to be over the whole of the nations that people are called. And therefore, it's pointing to Jesus Christ and his victory over the whole of the world. His name being proclaimed over the whole of the world. Him being praised because this is the new song that is to be sung. 
And so what we do when we come together every Sunday is partly what we're doing is a rehearsal for this day. This, this day when Jesus will be seen by all of the nations and all of the nations gather together to praise him. What we do on Sunday is encourage each other to look forward to that day. And this psalm is constructed like three ever-increasing circles that get wider and wider and greater and greater as the view of God's salvation gets bigger and bigger. Not just for the people of Israel, but for the whole earth. And not just for the people of the whole earth, but even creation itself is called to sing. And the psalm is broken down into to the first three verses, which sing praise of the past to believers, calling believers to call upon uh, the salvation and sing about the salvation of the world, which we see in Jesus Christ. And then the, 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 the next three verses, four to six, it, it's all the earth asking to join in. It's talking about the present of, of all people uh, saying Jesus is king of the world. And then the last three verses, seven to nine, of all the creation, literally the, the, the nature itself in the future, saying that Jesus is the judge and that we need to be coming and praising his name. So let's just break down those three things again of those bigger circles as they, as they come through. Of us being called in verses one to three to sing praise to God uh, because of his salvation works of the past. Calling all believers together to see that Jesus is the savior of the world. The question to ask, though, is what has God done in the past to deserve a new song to be sung? And the answer is salvation. Have a look with me at verses 1 to 3. And you see there in verses 1, 2, and 3, the word salvation is repeated in every verse. And it's the picture being painted to us of God's right hand, his holy arm working out salvation. It's a picture that points us to Jesus uh, who we are told about in, in Hebrews 12 verse 2 is God's right arm. He is the one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is the one who brings about salvation. And the psalmist, what he does is he's writing this in his context, is looking back over when God delivered the people of Israel through the Red Sea. Because that same language in Exodus 15 is used of God rescuing and using salvation by his right arm or through his right arm. And then if you would just turn with me to connect this back with Jesus. This is the one cross reference for this morning. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1 verses 54 and 55. Luke chapter 1 verses 54 and 55 in the New Testament. Let me hear those pages rustling on your Bibles. And so we see in Luke chapter 1, Mary's song, a song of praise of her soul being magnified because of Jesus Christ. Let me read to you Luke chapter 1, verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. That pointing forwards of Jesus, of what he's done in the past, foreshadowing of what is to come in the future. And then ultimately being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Mary is singing in that song as she sings about how all of God's salvation, all of the acts of salvation in the past are being summarized in the person of Jesus Christ. So as we turn back to Psalm 98, know that all the way through this, even though the psalmist is looking to the context of what he was writing in, is pointing us forwards to Jesus Christ. And that's that ultimate work of salvation, which is the cross. And do you know that when the Bible talks about salvation, it is always in the past, the present, and the future. You and I have been saved by the work of the cross. 
because we are still living in this sinful world, we are still being saved to the point of which we will be saved in the future when we meet with God in glory. And so we see this plan of salvation being unfolded to us in the first three verses of Psalm 98. And what it should do for us when we see God's right hand at work, when we see the work of Jesus on the cross, when we see that salvation that comes from him that has been revealed to us, it should cause us to sing of salvation. And do you see what the effect of that is in in verse 2? It's a salvation that is then seen in the sight of all the nations. In other words, when we remember, verse 3, his steadfast love, his love that never changes, his faithfulness of his promises that will be true to the house of Israel, which is all the believers that have trusted in Christ or the future promise of Christ, that then, then that should go to notice the language that's like the Great Commission to all the ends of the earth to see the salvation of God. In other words, this is pointing us to the completion of the Great Commission. This is pointing us through to the day when you and I have taken the gospel to the ends of the earth so that salvation is seen in the sight of all the nations. When the the name of Jesus has been spoken and praised because they've joined us in on this song of singing of Jesus Christ. See, the salvation acts of the past and for us the work of the cross should cause us to push into the future and and into the, the present and into the future about calling the world to sing his praise, to sing this song because it's marvelous in what he has done. The most burning thing on our heart because of the gospel should be sharing the gospel with other people. There is no greater gift that we can give this Christmas than the gift of salvation, of seeing somebody's life radically changed from being a sinner to being saved, to joining in the rest of the earth in singing this song. So as the psalmist looks back to the works of salvation in things like Exodus, we look back to the cross. And we say that what it should call us to do is to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's part of our mission here at Fifth Avenue. To see the ends of the earth. That's why we picked a people group that were unreached and unengaged in the gospel. We picked them because we are commanded by God to look to the future, to the day when all of the tribes and everywhere in the world will be singing this song of salvation. But then we are taken into verses 4 to 6. So that all the earth joins in with us. This is where we are. We're in verses 4 to 6 in seeing this is our mandate. Verses 1, 2 and 3. And doing it in verses 4, 5 and 6. The presence all the people, because Jesus is king of the world. Jesus is king of the world. Now, does anybody think about a movie when I say that phrase, king of the world? Does anybody think about a movie? Man, I think you would pick it up quicker than that. Titanic, Leonardo DiCaprio, do you remember it now? What does he do when he gets on board the Titanic? He runs to the front of the ship and he gets up on those railings and he shouts out with a loud voice. What does he shout out? I'm king of the world. And then the director shouted out in the Oscars. The point is that Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, 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 neither James Cameron, neither of those men are king of the world. Uh, and if you look at what the context is, they don't, either of them have the credentials to back it up. See, neither of them have power and authority. Neither of them have the ability to avoid death. You see, even in the story of when that character says, I'm the king of the world, how does the, end, the movie end up? He ends up dead. He ends up at the bottom of the sea. It, the only reason he was able to get on the Titanic in the, first ga- in the first place was because of the luck of a card game. You see, he tries to lay claim to being king of the world, but that is only a title that King Jesus can have. Because only King Jesus has the power and authority. 
the king of Psalm 98 is the only one who can claim that king. And look with me how I can be so certain to say that. Say that. Look with me at verse 6. Who does it say the king is? The king is Jesus. And the king is the Lord. The king is the Lord. The Lord being Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D. This is talking about Jesus being God incarnate, God Emmanuel, God putting on flesh. The one we think about at Christmas time and we should think about for all eternity. That God, when he put on meat, literally put on meat upon his spirit and came to dwell within us. Jesus is king of the world because Jesus is God. We might not think about Jesus being king of the world at Christmas when we have images of, of a baby lying in an animal feeding trough. But don't be fooled by this humble situation of Christ's birth. Jesus is king of the world. When you read after that story in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark and Luke and John, you see that he has power and authority. He has power over sickness to heal. He has power over nature to calm the storm. He has power over the word of God to bring people to salvation and command men to be fishers of men. He has power over evil to to quell the evil spirits and to drive out demons. He even has power to forgive sins. He has power to conquer sin and death and the devil. Jesus is king of the world. And so when we look at verse 4, he is saying, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. In other words, we're not meant to just stay in this room on a Sunday. We're meant to go out and break forth with joyous noise as we leave church. We're meant to take the gospel to a dying world. We're meant to sing of the praises of God. We're meant to do it with instruments like lyres and harps and the sound of the victory horn, saying that there is no greater victory than the one Jesus has won. We are to be constantly praising with our lips the noise that Jesus is the King of the world, that He is Lord, that He is God incarnate. He did not stay in a stable just as a baby in a feeding trough, but that He grew. He showed that He has all power and authority. He lived the perfect life. He died the perfect death. And He showed that all His promises were true when He went through death and came out of the grave on the other side so that the cry should ask for us should be, Hallelujah! Hallelujah, Jesus is king. He is king of all the worlds. And then we get to these last three verses to see that the picture of what, will be, what it will be like in the future. That Jesus is the judge of the world. And that is the reason why we need to take the gospel out into a dying world. So that people don't face Jesus as their judge, but they face Jesus as their savior. Look with me at verses 7 to 9 as it points forward to the future. It tells of all of creation. All of creation uh, coming together just to sing to the Lord. That the sea is re- resounding with a roaring sound. And everybody who dwells in the earth. And the rivers themselves clapping their hands. And the hills singing for joy together. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ, the King, is riding back into earth on his white steeds. He is the judge of the earth. And there will be nobody from all of human history that at this point will not bow the knee and say, Yes, I acknowledge Jesus as King of the world. I acknowledge Jesus as God. I acknowledge Him as being judge and Savior. I acknowledge Him as the one whom my lips should be praising for all eternity. And do you see what happens there? As it talks about creation, as it talks about what creation will do when Jesus returns, We are given the mercy of God to know what will happen in the end. To know that there are two things that summarize the book of Revelation. 
that Jesus wins. And whose side are you going to be on? You do not want to be against Jesus. You do not want to let your prideful heart to say, I am king, rather than Jesus being king. You do not want to say that you have authority when Jesus has authority. You want to know that Jesus is going to come back and judge the earth. You want to know that through your neighbor in your neighborhood. You want to know for the colleague where you work. You want to know for the friend who you've got at school or at college or at university. You want to know that they are going to face King Jesus. And you want to know that you need to be singing the praises of Jesus on your lips so that they are drawn to him. So that they may praise to the Father in heaven when they see your good deeds. And so that you, yes, you get out of your comfortable seat and you proclaim the gospel to them. Because that's what brings faith. That's what brings people to join us in this song. We have one song, which is Jesus Christ. And we have one hymn book, which is the Bible. And the purpose it is given to us for is so that we may bring other people to join with us in this joyous song. Because have a look with me at verse 9. Have a look with me at verse 9. Before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. See, there is a definite day coming. There is a definite day coming. The point of what Christmas does is it raises us to see that the Savior has come. To look forward to to when he died on the cross, but then to lift our eyes uh, and to all the way to when Jesus is going to return again. So that we sing that song of joy. We sing that song of joy. And between looking at the past, realizing the reality of being saved in the present... And the future that is to come when the Jesus will come to judge the whole world. We have a job to get on with, Fifth Avenue. We have a job to get on with, which is to sing praises to Jesus. And to bring other people from all the ends of the earth to join with us in singing this song. So you might be here today thinking, preacher, I already know Jesus. Well, if you want to know him, if you don't want to know him more and more and more. If you don't have a desire and a passion to sing of his praises more and more and more. I want to suggest that you don't know Jesus. I want to suggest if you don't have a hunger for the Bible, if you don't have a hunger for prayer, if you don't have a hunger for fellowship with other believers, if you don't have a hunger for holiness, to see the gospel being taken out into a dying world and see other people being saved, I want to suggest that perhaps you don't know this Savior, that you don't know Jesus as King. See, if there isn't a desire to push in and push harder to knowing Jesus more deeply, then I'm not sure that you've met with Jesus. Yes, there are going to be times in everybody's life where you have a dry season. But if you can't look back to times when you were passionate about Jesus, even in the struggle that you have, the dry times you have now, if you can't look forward to saying, I want there to be a day when I was as passionate as I was then, If you can't look forward to a time when you were desiring to be a person that preaches the gospel, who shares the gospel, who wants to let everybody come and join this song in singing this new song with us. If you can't look to that, I want to suggest that perhaps you've never met Jesus before. Perhaps this morning the Holy Spirit has been pouring into your hearts and you see that you don't want to be there on that day, that day when Jesus will return in all power and glory and you don't want to meet him as your judge, but you want to meet him and sing with all the other Christians this song of salvation, this song of joy, this song that even creation will be singing. Perhaps the Holy Spirit has been working on you to draw you into this 
And now you're saying, I really want to worship him. I want to worship him where I go deeper and deeper and deeper. I want to worship him so he is the song. He is the thing that excites me. He is what stirs my soul. He is the reason why I get out of bed and I live. He is the one I want to sing for. Well, let's respond to God's word today. Let us be obedient to the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is drawing you, calling you to respond, either because you're not a Christian and you want to pray and you want to meet this King Jesus, come and pray, come and repent and confess your sins. Come humbly and give your heart to Jesus, knowing that if you want to walk the walk of Jesus Christ, that it is a hard walk. It is a daily walk. It is a daily walk of taking up your cross that will endure suffering and pain as you take the gospel out to a dying world. If you are a Christian, ask yourself, Father in heaven, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? If these words are true, Father, what do you want me to do? Do I just sit comfortably in my pew? Do I just sit comfortably in my home? Or do I know now that I need to get out of my comfort zone and take this gospel to a dying world so that other people may draw me in this salvation song? Father, what do you want me to do? As I hold on to the truth that will save me for all eternity, what do you want me to do? Christian, if you're sitting here and you're thinking that, then please come and pray. Come and make 2013 the most radical year of your life. The most radical year when you take your bank balance and you say, I want to use this for missions, for bringing other people to come and know Jesus Christ. Use the talents that God has given you and say, Jesus, I want this to be the most radical year of my life, of when I come and take the gospel to a dying world and I use my talents to do that. Or I take my calendar and I say, Lord, this be yours, not mine, not my family's, not my friends. Let this calendar be yours. Let me use it to bring the gospel to a dying world. If the Holy Spirit is working on your heart, then come and pray. Come and do that this morning. Don't deny the Holy Spirit. Don't let Satan snatch it away. I'm going to ask if in the moment the deacons can come up and join us. And if you want to come up and pray, come up and pray. Let's come and dedicate our lives to Fifth Avenue to, to joining other people in this song, this song of salvation. Let's respond to the Lord. Let's not just sit in comfort. Let's not our lives just be the same week after week after week. Let's not be stuck in doldrums or apathy. But let's join in this song. Let me read to you as I, as I finish this first line again. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. If you are claiming that salvation, if you are claiming the one in Jesus Christ, if you are claiming eternal life in him, if you're asking him to save you, then he is asking you to live your life for him. Brother Chip.